Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I'm in conversation with the CEO and founder of Fearless, a full stack digital services firm in Baltimore, Maryland, with the mission to create software with a soul, tools that empower communities and make a difference. Please welcome Dalali Jarasa. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's funny. Like I, I, I call myself being smooth, right? And then like recording it a couple of times beforehand, I want, I clearly went into like the YouTube thing. How do you pronounce now that I know Jarasa? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm glad you even check. Most people don't check. They, they get there and like, uh, z- 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 and they, they, uh, and I make them, I don't, I don't cheat. I don't fight for it. So I don't give it to them. I don't, I don't give them up cook easy. That's great. That's great. I was on this conversation earlier about uh, this this guy's networking company, and he was just we were talking about different ways to get an answer mm-hmm. while still maintaining like, yeah, I'm I'm not messed up here. I, I yeah. didn't do any research. I, I'm I'm prepared. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I want to start off. You're you're making you're making moves. Those those colors are everywhere. Their logo, their branding is everywhere, and it's a lot of good work that I'm hearing about. Um, but I want to start off um, one for thank you for coming on to this podcast and and two I want to get into the backstory um, like ultimately what is the Dalali story what is the fearless story and ultimately what gets us here Yeah so uh, I got a couple a couple um, inflection points I guess as, as as a part of my story I always like to start start off as as a kid right so I grew up down the street but anyway grew up in um, grew up in DC born in DC grew up in Maryland. Um, and I think one of the most pivotal times for me, like early on, is my parents uh, splitting when I was pretty young. So about four or five, they, they broke up. And my mom raised us. But what was so instrumental about that time period was my mom worked a lot raising three boys and the youngest of three was um, we wanted to have nice things. And we couldn't afford the things that we wanted. Right. And so for me, that was where the door of entrepreneurship really, really opened up. And my mom was big on work ethic. You're gonna do good in school. You're gonna do, you know, play sports, all that stuff. But if you want, you want some, you want those nice shoes. You want that extra thing. You want to go to movies. You're gonna earn it. And so we started hustling, like as as kids. Um, you know, every little side hustle you could think, selling candy, knocking on doors, washing cars, walking dogs, you name it. Right? We had <laughs> we had all the hustles, right? And so for me, like that idea of, hey, I want this thing. I can work hard and earn it. Like that, I don't know, it was like a drug. It was like a thing where, you know, it kind of opened my eyes up to this ability to go go create and go earn, right? Yeah. And so I think that that was really pivotal in, in my in my upbringing, right? That, that whole lesson. So you fast forward, you fast forward that piece, right? And I'll fast forward a lot of stuff till I, till I get to college. And um, getting to college, right? So at this point, you know, I'm a product of, you know, a mother who was a nurse. And yeah. so, you know, all about empathy and give back and help people. And we spent more time than I can count in soup kitchens and nursing homes and like all that stuff, right? Yeah. Hated it as a kid, right? Um, now kind of cool that that she, she made us do that stuff. And I get to school for engineering at UMBC mm-hmm. and um, they were launching an entrepreneurship program. I kind of knew I was interested in this business thing already. And but I didn't I didn't know that I could knock from door to door, but I, I didn't know how to create a marketing plan or you know how to do projections or pro forma was or I didn't know how to doing that stuff, right? And so I felt like it was kind of tailor-made for me, right? It was a non-credited thing. I could stay in engineering, I could take a couple of the classes on 
on the entrepreneurship side and, and just learn. And, and I did, and I, I got hooked, right? I mean, learning that side, like, oh, now I got some tools, right? I was just kind of days before, now I got some, I got to cook them with fire now, right? And and I was convinced um, probably by the end of my first or second year that I was going to start a business, right? And I didn't know what it was and what it looked like. And so by the time I left undergrad, I probably had five different startups that I tried and failed and learned some stuff on this one and everything from nonprofit to I ran to a, uh, to a, a barber shop that I had in the basement that I was cutting hair nights and weekends to, you know, a shop where we we're building websites and building all sorts of products. So I, I, I did a bunch of stuff yeah. and learned a lot through that experience. And so following that, I'd say the next really major shift for me was, you know, a few years out, I'd interned, um, I graduated UMBC and I wanted to start, I knew I wanted to start a company. And I remember uh, going to go talk to a mentor and the mentor asking me, look, all right, so what's next? And and I'm thinking like, I, I've been telling you and the entrepreneurship folks that I'm starting a company, right? I don't know what, which I've been thinking. I've been talking <laughs> for years. I'm going to run a company. I'm a millionaire and I'm retired by the time I'm 25, right? I and <laughs> and I, I felt like I'd been pretty clear at that. So the fact, and one of my, one of my professors said, yeah, I mean, that's cool, but you should go work for an entrepreneur. And I'm like, I am the entrepreneur. What are you talking about? Right. And I was, su- and I told her later on, I was like, I was super offended by the, by the, by the, as, as you should have been. <laughs> right. I've been telling you that this is what I want to do. Well, it was just, it was great advice that they gave me and connected me with an entrepreneur from our school that, that there's alum from our university. And I got a chance to learn the ropes, right? Um, mm-hmm. He was running a company. It was a tech company. They were about 100 people when I when I joined. I had never heard of them. And I went in day one. I had other offers going in. I went in day one and said, I want to learn how you did all this. I want to learn how you started the business. <laughs> I want to pick your brain. I like office hours. I want this. And I, I mean, hindsight, I'm like, who did I think I was kind of going in <laughs> talking like that, right? To the CEO. And, and, and they said, yes, they agreed. They, they kind of didn't know what to do with me. And mm-hmm. just got an opportunity. He said, look, if you can come here and you can do good work, you, why not learn on my dime, right? Yeah. Do some stuff to add value here and I'll teach you. Yeah. And, and he did. And, and to this day, I credit uh, that leadership team a lot. Like they gave me opportunities there that I would have never had elsewhere. You're talking about, you know, three years out of school, managing $100 million worth of work, right? And have no business like in that seat. But, but but being able to support and be the number two person on that on that gig, I learned a lot. And so all of those things were seeds that I felt like were fueling the beginnings of what Fearless was was going to become. And so that company grew and, and and it got sold and got acquired by another shop. And so at that point, I'm thinking, well, should I give this thing a try? Right. Yeah. And go talk to mentors that were there and um, had mixed reaction. Not the people that think I was capable. It was somewhere just jump. You'll never be ready. Someone like ah, pick up a couple other skills before you do it. Wait a few more years. And so I did. I did the thing that's like kind of in the middle where I said, all right, well, here are the two things that I need. I'm going to find places where I can go get these things on someone else's dime. Right. That was my mm-hmm. objective, and I felt like I got some of that. So about two years later, I jumped off full time and fearless was born. I, yeah. so, that's, how we, that's how we got there. Skip a couple things, but that's the gist. No, I, I love it. I love that. Uh, and and it think, the funny thing is, I know I'm going to go back as I'm uh, going through the questions. Like uh, you answered, you answered that already. Uh, you answered that already. <laughs> but yeah, and and thank you, thank you for that because the I think there's there's several gems in there. Um, you know, one of the things kind of I've been trying to dive into, like getting those opportunities to kind of learn and be an asset 
to elsewhere. It's just like, all right, I have this goal. I have this dream, you know, going to an HBCU, going to a business school. It was a lot of these conversations of I'm retiring at 28. I'm done. And it's like, you have no practical. It's like, let's figure this out first. And, you know, it's just like, I, I, and I, and I start asking questions and looking at questions like, you know, what is that, that thing that you learned, you know, and maybe, like in the lab versus going out in practice. And that's one of the things that always interests me. And it might come up later, you know, wink, wink. Um, so, 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 so if you will, could you describe that aha moment that you're like, yeah, I leaped, I'm coming, I'm falling down. We're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. But what was that aha moment that was like, you know, you're not going to get away from this. You know, this is what you're doing, right? You know, this is the goal when it comes to fearless. Yeah, I don't know if there was um let me think. So you asked about when the aha moment was I knew for, it, very very clearly that I was gonna do this. Yes. It's funny I said, all right. So I don't think I knew that that was the aha moment until years later, right? Mm-hmm. And and when I'm watching it play out in real life, it was it's natural. I went to go work somewhere, I learned some stuff, right? I said I was gonna start it, I started a thing, right? But what was like the moment and and it probably wasn't until about five years later that it like hit me, right? Um, when that when that particular moment was was actually throughout undergrad. I, I talked about my upbringing with my mom and uh, always giving back. Like we spent a lot of time volunteering and helping out at church and all that other stuff. And so I spent time with the youth there and and I'd work with the youth. And and what I learned through that was they just kind of need you just need to get close enough that they call you before they do something stupid, right? And like, hey, I'm thinking about doing. It. No, don't do that. No, you don't want to do that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I did that for a little while. I didn't like that. And I started working with the young adult, kind of the young adult population, like the 18 to 30 at my church at that time. And so yeah. I ended up, start, I started, I launched and I was running this organization, right? This ministry yeah. uh, in the church and supporting this group. And I was working full time. So this was, this was like nights, weekends, and I found myself doing this stuff every other day. I'm funding it out of my pocket. I just believed in it and connecting people and seeing people grow and giving back that way. And I did that for a couple of years and it grew from zero to we have about 600 people right at one point that were part of this. And so the thing was growing um, fairly fast. And I was like, I'm burning out. I'm working. I'm trying to do both, all these things. So I decided I was going to step down, give everybody a heads up, notice that stepping down, you know, three, four months from now. Give them game time to try to find someone new. And the thing that I was so worried about happened, right? I stepped down a couple months later, it starts falling apart, right? And it it ended up kind of collapsing. And then I was getting calls from people like, hey, bring it back. Why don't you come back? Why don't you do this stuff? But we need, we want you to come back. We, we miss it. And I always told myself I would never, I was never going to do, go do nonprofit church work full time. I felt like my calling was like in the business world. That's what I was going to go do my thing. And probably a year of calls and pestering and all that stuff. I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to, I'll come back. I'll go, I'll come do the thing. Right. So I, I, I go and I put my mind, I finally wrapped my mind around. I feel like I was broken. Right. I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to live that life and I'm going to go do church work. And I ended up writing a big proposal on what it should look like and how they should structure it. And like wrote the whole thing up, had hundreds of people sign a petition, like bring it back. The lives should run it, all this stuff. Right. Went to go present it to the to the to the board and the deacons of the church and all that stuff. And two things happened. Number one, like we love it. We love the energy. We love what's what's gone into it. Um, they appreciated that. The second thing they said was, we can't do it. I'm like, why? I, I finally like broke down. Why not? <laughs> they said they didn't have the budget, they couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know until five years later that I think that was the moment in my head in which fearless is born. Mm. 
Mm. It was, I never wanted anybody that wanted to go do good and to make impact to not do it because of money. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that I'm going to for-profit business and I'm going to try to drive and do this thing so that anyone that I could fund anything I cared about would be able to get done. And I think in hindsight, that was probably one of the pivotal things that like launched fearless in my head. Thank you. Thank you. That, that, that definitely, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't a- ask this next question, even though it's like the last one on my list, yeah. but it's just right here. It's just softball. It's just yeah. like, come on, swing at it. So speak on the importance of nurturing new ventures in Baltimore. Cause uh, I, it, it's a thing is I, I feel like, you know, people that are in various zones is like, you know, you're in this sector, you're in that sector. Maybe your idea is too far ahead and people haven't caught up yet. And because it, I, ultimately it's new, but maybe the way of going about it is a little like, oh, I don't know. You know, we can't fund it. We love it, but we can't fund it. I've heard a lot of that. Um, and I'm sure many listeners listening to this has heard a lot of that. So why is, is it important to, you know, nurture these kind of new ventures and be there? you know, as, as an asset, whether it's in the community, in terms of conversation, you know, cause it's not always money. Like here, here's a bunch of money, go ahead and, you know, do the thing. But tell me about that. Yeah. I think a couple of reasons why it's important to, to, to kind of nurture new ventures. One, um, it's just important to give back, right? People need support. Like no one, no one has got the playbook for this stuff. Everyone's got their own path and everyone's got, um, you know, their uh, perspective and how they got to where they are. Right. So being able to like, cut some of that time out and support someone else is good because everyone has had someone that helped them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so being able to carve up some of your time and help them is important. I, I would argue that some of it is, and people, right. People do all sorts of things in self-interest and, and I'm not talking about self-interest that like, Oh, I'll only help if I got a stake in this company and I'm going to make some money too, but you just never know like what will happen. Right. These new ventures, they're like, they're like babies. Right. Yeah. And, and, and had you known that baby was going to grow up to be Barack Obama, would you treated the baby differently? You, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, had, had you known that this baby was going to be, you know, a billion dollar company, would you have done something differently? And the reality is you just don't know. You, you yeah. don't know who, who's in front of you. You think about, you know, the people who nurtured uh, Dr. Samika Corbett, right. Who was one of the pioneers of the Moderna vaccine. Like, did you know that, you know, this, this, this kid and this youth and this scientist that you were nurturing as a kid that was interested in STEM was going to go save half the planet? You know what right. I mean? Like, right. you, you, you just, you just don't know. And, 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 and again, that directly like affects you and your kids and your grandkids and all this other stuff. And so, yes, there's a part that's give back, but two, there is this space of like, how can you now help this next generation like, achieve something that will directly impact the world that you live in? And so there is, in my, mm-hmm. in my piece, there's a self-interest part of this. Like, I want the world to be great. I want my kids to inherit you know, <laughs> a great world and all this stuff. And they'll get inspired by something that someone else does. And so I, I want to make sure that we set that example. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Because it's it's a version of gambling that's there, what have you. And it's like this can win out and in, in an altruistic way really impact many people. And I think, you know, people rarely define it in that those terms because it feels like it's it's a negative thing. And I used to ask people, what's driving you? What are you, what are you running off of? And, and in these terms, you know, what is that gasoline? Is it literally gas that you're running off of like ambition, like spite a little bit of that of like, you know, somebody said I won't be able to do this. So now I'm going to do this. And it has these really cool benefits from it. Mm-hmm. And being able to hear that, like, no, that's, that's a little self-interest in there. It's, it's always going to be self-interest um, because you're a person within the community. Yeah. <laughs> 
and, and, and I think something you said that it's really key to, to, to delineate, it's you take a gamble on ideas, not people, right? People aren't gamble. You yeah. invest in a person, there's a return on that no matter what, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there's someone's life that you're affecting and, and maybe it's not this venture, maybe the next one, maybe it's something different. Maybe it's, you know, who knows, their kids, their nephew, you, some some of the neighborhood that they mentor, right? You, you just don't know. And so there is always a positive return when you invest in people, right? An idea... It's just an idea. You can have a different one tomorrow. I mean, heck, I had 20 different ideas of things I want to do right now, right? And so pe- that, that's th- those are fleeting. Yeah. But you take time, you invest in people. That stuff always generates a return. Absolutely. Thank you for, for, for adding an extra bit of uh, texture there. Um, There's so many websites out there offering to help and to provide resources for entrepreneurs um, and those wanting to grow their businesses. Um, You know, like, I guess... What would you suggest in terms of what a person should look like? Because there are a lot of maybe scams that are out there. There are a lot of things that are like, I don't know if that's real. And then we're operating on really slim, narrow, like razor thin budgets. So if something seems too good to be true, that's usually a sign, right? Or things of that nature. So what would what would you suggest in the, the conversations that you're having and in the line of like work that you're you're in? What would you suggest to people what they should be looking for in terms of opportunities to grow their business and grow their brands and such? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing that that people need to think about is um, how you add value. Uh, We we have so many people that will hit us up. They're like, hey, we need help. We want to partner with some stuff. We got a contract, right? And it's like, contract to do what? We don't do that, right? And then there hasn't been any homework done. Um, they're, they're, they're not describing how it is they're going to help us win a particular opportunity or how they're going to position us and make us better. Right. And so I think one of the, one of the first things that I'd recommend entrepreneurs is, um, understand your value and your value prop. Like what are you bringing to the table and does someone actually need what it is that you have? Um, I'd say also being, being coachable and I'll talk about the other side and like kind of what, um, what they should look for as as well. Um, they, they they need to be coachable, right. And be able to take feedback and advice, um, and how they how they um, grow their organization. And so when they're looking for whether it's an opportunity or a mentor or resources or any of those things, I think being hungry is 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 something that they should bring to the table. But in the day, like when you look at some of these things, if it seems super easy to do, um, and oh, let me go click this button and I'm gonna be a millionaire. It's probably wrong, right? This stuff is hard, yeah. right? This stuff is hard and it takes time and it takes attention and it takes diligence. And and, and you, you gotta do stuff consistently over a long period of time, right? If you wanna build a sustainable business. And so if it if it seems too easy, probably something, something's fishy, yeah. kind of about, about that engagement. Um, I, I'd say also look for people that have, a reputation of giving back, right? That don't necessarily want um, want something in return, and and there are plenty of people out there that just they just want to help, right? And so yeah. if someone has been able to, I've never grow a business and sell it, or I've got I've done something within your market. Um, those are those are some of the folks that I love speaking with because it's like real time, real time information and, and support. Oh, I'm starting a restaurant. You, you've had a restaurant. Cool. What did you learn? What did you you know? How can I, you know, how can I kind of glean some pieces for you? Yeah. Even in those, though, figure out what they need, right? Is there something I can do to help you? This is really helpful to me. Like, how can I help you? Yeah. Some folks will say nothing, but but I'd always ask. And, and and I remember people often come to me and, you know, if they're asking for business advice and stuff like that. And and uh, and they may think, like, what's the catch? Why are you cutting out time to help me? Some two things. 
one, people help me. And so I'm going to pay it for two. I do want something in return. I'm not, this ain't for free. Right. And, and I, haven't, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't asked. Right. Yeah. And my ask is you do the same for 10 other people when, and when they come to you. Right. So don't, don't take whatever you get yeah. and go grow your thing in the corner. And when some, somebody else asks you for help, you, you don't have time for them. Right. So that I do have an ask. My ask is you better, you better be paying a full right and help other people. Cause if you don't, then we're done. Right. And yeah. I'll invest my time and energy in, in someone else. I love that. I, I I try to do the same thing in in this realm or what have you. And you know, I just had a conversation before you and I, you know, hopped on, and there's a person looking to start a podcast, and it's mm-hmm. like, how do you go about this? And I was like, I'm accessible. I'm right here, and I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. What do you need? And yeah. it's like, well, so what do I owe you? And I was just like, you've been on the podcast. You know, I'm not just looking for it. I was like, but also, you know, there, you know, let's. This is a community thing. Yeah. You know, and now when there's a business, that's a different conversation. You know, it's like a oh, sliding scale. I mean, you know, help help somebody out here and there. But really, if it's someone for the love of the game is the way I always put it. Like, I, I don't like bad podcasts. And yeah, yeah, yeah. if I could help somebody put something out there and, yeah, yeah. you know, cut down on the cost and all of that stuff, because usually it's it's people who are in similar spots. They're figuring it out. They DIY. They look like me. They're, they're from oh. the same community and encounter the same like issues and still having the desire to do this thing, that is, that is a gamble. This is, yeah. <laughs> this prospect yeah. is a gamble. So I, I, r- real quick, cause I, cause I realized like I'm over here, like I'm, I'm gleaning so much. Right? Um, could you, uh, compare to when you started, yeah. what would you say has been your biggest challenge um, at, at fearless and, and ultimately how do you continue to grow, which is going to definitely bring up my next question. Cause I'm on LinkedIn and it's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of you, a lot of you out there. So shout out to you. I appreciate mm-hmm. seeing all the great things and yeah. I'm really proud and fortunate, you know, to hear, to, to be able to talk to you. Yeah. Um, the hardest thing that we've ever had to do and continue to have to do, I think is, um, is the, it's going to sound super simple, right? Mm-hmm. Is to be yourself, be yourself and to be this purple cow, this unique creature that you were created to be. And, and the reason why that's so difficult is we grow up and we see examples of what we think business looks like, right? This is what it looks like to run a tech company. And I got to have my shorts and flip-flops on, or this (laughs) is what it looks like to be a contractor. And I got to have a suit where I got to have this military uniform or whatever it is. Right. Um, Or this is how you behave because of X, Y, and Z. And, and there's this unique thing that's in you that's trying to push up and brush up against the status quo. And you kind of like, well, well, this is what success looks like. I gotta, mm-hmm. I gotta look and feel and move this way. Um, and, and it's hard to see this path that other people aren't following and say, well, gee, well, if I do it this way, am I going to, you know, are we going to make it right? Yeah. This seems to be the blueprint. And, and for us, I'd say our trajectory, right. And our growth has largely been tied to really finding our voice, being comfortable in our voice. This is how we act. This is how we behave. This is how we look. Um, and this is how we do work. And we're great at what it is we do. And if that's not good, if you don't like that, that's cool. That means you're not my customer, right? Yeah. And I'm okay. You're not being my customer, right? There are other people that want what it is that we we do and, and how it is that we move. And so I think that that part is, is really important, but it's scary. It is scary for yes. us. Yeah. It's super scary. Like, oh, do I put myself out there like that? Oh, am I allowed to wear my J's at work? Oh, you know, all this stuff. And, and I run the company. I felt these things, right? Even as the <laughs> owner of the company, like, I don't want, because I never even want, I never really even wanted us to be known as um, a black company, right? And yeah. not that I'm ashamed to be black. I'm not. What I'm saying is the stigma, either good or bad, that people put on mm-hmm. just being a black company, like, 
no, we're just a dope company. We're better than everybody, right? And and not and not in a prideful sense, but what we do, we are really good at what we do. We will compete against anybody anywhere, yeah. right? Um, and in our craft, right? We want to be that excellent at our work, right? Yeah. As a result, but not like, oh, they're good for a black company. It's like, no, we're good for any company, right? And and that's kind of the the spirit in which I wanted us to always, always be viewed. But um, so I was really sensitive about like. Well, don't wear this and you know don't yeah. you know and and, and and all those types of things and i think we all just started getting really comfortable saying you know this is me wherever you want yeah yeah you want to go to work with a three-piece suit cool do that you want to come with big hair little hair piercings tats jays i don't care right yeah. uh come with you and your full authentic self and as we've been able to embrace that like that has been largely what has allowed us to start scaling i think across the board that's that's big that's huge um because you know, one one of the things that in going through business school, doing all the different stuff that I encountered, oh, don't do this. Just just like sell off pieces of yourself and you know, getting returning to that years later after leaving that kind of atmosphere, but then having that desire, almost feeling and being recognizing it that I was coming to an interview hat in hand and I sold yep. out the visual I was putting out there. And it's like, I'm good at the job. Yep. So now at this stage, I'm just like you know, this is what I do. I'm going to come into the office with the wild Doc Martens on yeah. and some weird Dominican shirt. And it's just what I'm doing. And people, people are with it. And, you know, also kind of being myself in that, I definitely relate to that. And it's, it's funny because it, it was in a book I was listening to earlier, an audio book. And it was just like, yeah, being yourself is a thing. And it seems really simple, but we, we have, we, we have social media and all of that stuff and not really dive into that. But you know, we get that almost instant validation loop and we've been stuck in that. Yeah. And that validation and that comparison and all of that. And, you know, as I've heard, and I don't know if you've heard the same thing, but comparison kills creativity. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And I, I could I couldn't agree more. It's it's we've got all of these conditions. I think it's comparison. I'll add I'll add also constraints, right? And mm-hmm. you can think within constraints, but it's like we we say, all right. You got to get up and you got to you got to start working at this time. Then you got to mm-hmm. start working at this time. You can only do it this way. And it's got to look like this. You got to use this computer. You got to use this tool. got to use that. And then we put all these boxes around people and say, all right, well, why can't you think outside the box? Because you <laughs> put me in this super tiny box and you won't let me like breathe. Right. Yeah. And and so this space is just like letting people like bring their stuff to the table. Right. And And, and otherwise, you have a bunch of people within an organization that are faking all day. Mm-hmm. Got a representative, got a mask on, um, and everyone, 100% of people there are wearing this mask, right? And so it's like we're, we're interacting with people that are representatives and we're representative. We actually never get to know each other. Right? I tell you all the time, we just catfish into each other all day long with some fake person out <laughs> yeah. front. And then we get to go be our, ourselves at home. And that's and that's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. Yes. Like, yes. oh, what's politically correct to say and to not say and to do? And it's like, let's just come and create. Let's just go let's go build some cool stuff. Right. And and I think you get that once you like give people space to be themselves. And I I find that, you know, when when people get into that, that that role where they're running a business or they're running the the show as it were, they're looking for more of that because they see that these things that we were doing, these kind of norms, these, these, these cultural components of of business, whatever the, the, the sector is, right. I've heard it from chefs and it's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'm kind of done with that toxic way we were doing things. It's not inclusive. It does. It prevents this. It prevents new ideas, prevents new perspectives. And ultimately it's a version that I think kind of kills discourse. Like I rather have a conversation with someone as to, so why is that funny or why is that inappropriate versus 
that's not a thing that we should say. And that's not a thing that we do here because there's a lot of things that I think in the last few years of COVID and all, and kind of changed how we approach things. And I think the people who, or the, the entities, the brands, the businesses that have had significant growth and who have like kind of maintained and been able to recreate themselves, they, they have an idea of what that looks like mm-hmm. because, you know, while we have, you know, this kind of shift and things changing and all of that, we have like this weird unemployment and why people are leaving these jobs yeah. is a lot, is usually culture related. You know, mm-hmm. sure, money is a, is a piece of it or what have you. But right behind that and very close is culture mm-hmm. and treat people right. You know, have an, an atmosphere that's inviting and an environment where, look, we're here to we're here to kill it. We're here yeah, to sure. do this. Yep. And, you know, one of the things you said earlier, I was just like I was about to gash up like, yeah, bro, talk that talk. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's you know, that's what you should be doing in these communities. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, So I want to I want to hit you with these these uh this, this one quick one what would be your number one here. Um. So you you touched on it a little bit earlier, like and you know in, in the past of like burnout and things of that nature. So do you have a, like a hack or or like some type of entrepreneurial like tactic that you utilize to stay focused and avoid you know burnout while still being productive in, in your kind of like day to day life? I'm a terrible person to ask about this, right? This is my this is I'd say this definitely isn't a strength of mine, but I'll give you a couple of my a couple of my tips that I work on, and I'm and I'm strong in certain ones at different. Okay. At different times, I think I one one for me is my wife and I, um, and there's pre-pandemic we're, we're doing a lot better with this is um, setting up like quarterly retreats, knowing that I'm going to burn out like at least once a quarter, right? Mm-hmm. But all that stuff is on the calendar and booked and paid for by January first for the whole year, right? So once it comes to the calendar, you're kind of like, I booked the hotel for the weekend for myself. I I kind of don't want to leave. I'm going right, and so. <laughs> You prepare for that stuff. So forcing the stuff, the breaks up front before you need them, I think has been um, one thing that's been that's been really really good for us to kind of get that natural reset. You know, because there's never a good time, right? You know, there's always gonna be a thing. Um, so that's kind of one. A second thing, and I'm like three weeks into this, so I gotta see I gotta see how it works long term. Is I've been I've got this new term I've been telling myself every day. We're like, you know, Dolly, win the day. You got to win the day, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, that happens with if I can get the most important stuff done in that day. That means I won. I did everything I was supposed to do. I win, right? I get a, a, a check in the W column. That only happens, and I understand. I know myself well enough. That only happens if a couple things are true. I get to sleep early. That means I wake up early. I exercise early, and then I can get my day started early, right? When I'm doing that, I eat right. It goes well. When I'm not. I'm eating gummy bears all day, candy all day, and I start to spiral in all sorts of weird directions. But like what I've been pushing for is like, can I get the one to two top things on my list done before 9 a.m. every single day? If I do that, then that means I already won before the work day started, right? Anything else that happens that day is just gravy. But that means I got to get to bed. Even if I got something like turn it off, go to sleep, get up super early and win by 9 a.m. So that I'm a couple weeks in. I'm, I'm I'm liking how that's feeling so far. I'm I'm gonna keep testing it out and see how see how long I can hold it. 
I like that. I like that a lot. I, and I'm going to steal that. So I'm just letting you know that that's what's Please. happening. And coin uh, my way. I, I'm trademark yet. Since coin my way. I'm, I'm here for it. And, and definitely pre-planning the scheduling. Uh, that that's that's huge because I think you know I it's, it's one of those things where I know at this point of the year because the same thing happened last year and the same thing happened the year before. It, it's maybe what's around, but I find that and this is this is a not a not a good example of it. This this podcast is going well. I mean, I'm just I'm, I'm great at this. But uh, <laughs> just gasping myself up. But well, I find like, you thing, man. <laughs> but I find that like this time in a year, it's just like communication is thrown off, and people uh, their their attention is focused in a litany of areas, and it's usually a slower time, and more reschedules happen during this time of the year, and. You know, I've already spent the time. I spent the time in the research and the time and like sometimes booking the space. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, I didn't book any time for myself. I need I need to have I need before I burn out, burn out. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, I'm running on the, the last bits of fumes. And it's like, well, I want to get this and I want to get that. And it's like it's still gonna be there. Because, you know, you have some people who are like, well, I got something that just takes precedence. I need to move it. Then if you really oh, yeah. need to move it and you got to take that time, yeah. do it. Because ultimately, if you break down, what do you got? It, it's tough. I've been asking a lot of people this question, like, how? what's your cadence? And, and I think ultimately, everyone needs to figure out, like, what works for them, right? And they're, when, when, they, when they're feeling like they're burning out, when they're not being productive and all those other things. I was talking to my brother about it, and he's a, he's a workaholic also. He runs a, he runs a lab. And... And I felt like for a period of time, I was calling him. Every time I called him, he was on vacation. I'm like, dude, do you work? What do you, you go on vacation every time I talk to you? And I was like, what's it? T- t- break it down. What do you do? What do you do? And he was saying, um, he has a process where he works essentially seven days a week for like six weeks. He's like, I'm six weeks on, mm-hmm. then weeks off. Then I'm six weeks on. Then I'm t- And so for him, that's his thing. When I run, I'm running hard days, nights, weekends, all of that. Six weeks after that, my brain doesn't work. <laughs> and I'm coming back and I'm sprinting again for six weeks. Right. And yeah. so I was like, oh, that's a, that's, a, that's an interesting cadence. Right. And I think everyone's got to figure out like what their thing is. Is it, is it quarterly? Is it, you know, whatever I need to, you know, day off every two weeks, whatever it is, right. Yeah. Figure out your thing. And like, don't be ashamed, like lean into it, like own it. Right. This is my thing. I need this to stay, to stay on track. Yeah, you, you try to factor those little small things in, like having the Pomodoro join on the computer or what have you. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to yep. need more than that. And before I leave this one, it was one I saw that I thought was really cool. Um, the guy was doing, um, he was doing like this nomad work setup. Uh-huh. And I think he was staying at like a hotel. So he's like, I'm going to work 45 minutes at the desk and then 45 minutes at the pool. And it was yeah. just kind of like yeah. enjoying it. And yeah. I was like, you got to break these things up because, yeah. you know, one of my one of my good buddies um, that I learned a lot about as far as like, I'm a, I'm a data analyst by day uh-huh. and um he was just like yeah we're giving our best hours up he's like we got to figure that out he's like uh he's like you know this post office is closed by the time we get off and they ain't uh-huh. waiting for us so we got to figure it out bro yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's true that's a good point that's a good point i agree i agree so this is the last like real question i have um now i'd be remiss if i didn't ask but some of the big news that's been going on recently could you tell me about like some of your other recent work with fearless including the uh, searchable museum and using immersive storytelling um to uh expand access and create digital experiences yeah um still one of my one of my favorite projects right and 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 such the story leading up to the searchable museum which is supporting the National Museum of African-American History and Culture in D.C. Mm-hmm. That project started and the planning of that project started a couple, actually a few years before the pandemic. And and the timing seemed to align well, but really they were thinking about how is it that we can have people experience, right, this African-American story 
in a way that they uh, can't get if they can't get to DC, right? And so to to get to DC, you gotta you know you gotta try. Hope you pray you get some tickets to this thing and you know register for an advance, plan a trip to DC, go to the museum. It's huge. It's beautiful, right? And you just leave you leave different, right? Than when you when you went to the, went into the space. But if someone's got let's say someone's grandma's in, on the West Coast. Right. She can't travel. You know, how does she how does she go experience something like that? And so they were they were thinking through how do we create a way in which people can experience it from wherever they are? And so that preceded the pandemic. Now, it was accelerated during the pandemic. Right. Because now the museum's actually closed. Right. So how do you now think about this virtual space? But one thing to think about as you think about a virtual experience, especially one that's based off of physical experiences, the temptation is how do I recreate it? Mm -hmm. And you, yeah. and you can't, right? You cannot recreate that experience. It can be a different experience, right? Still impactful, but it's not the same, right? How do you recreate, you know, someone going from the slavery and freedom exhibit at the bottom floor into the room that the reflection room, right? You're just sitting there and the water's falling. You, it's it's different, right? It's yeah. different, right? Um, and, and so the difference also is like when you go to DC, you plan a trip to DC, you're going to go there. You're going to visit a couple of floors. You're going to eat there. You're going to hang out. Um, you go to a website, you can leave in half a second, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's different. <laughs> so how do you capture people in little bite-sized pieces in which they can they can digest it on their own time? And then the next the next thing is, so we were excited. We won the bid. It was like a two-year bidding comp process. We won the national bid for it. And we were initially thinking like, oh, we're going to have like headsets and it's going to be immersive and this and that. And, and a lot of the conversation was around, it, well, it can't be right. It's about accessibility. We want everyone without the need for a device, um, shouldn't need to pay for it. They should be able to experience, experience this. And so it was like, how do you make it low bandwidth or quality and like really all these constraints? Like, how do you create um, something that's really, that's really special? And so the first exhibit was the slavery and freedom exhibit yeah. that just kind of walks through time. And, and, and what's interesting though is when you stop thinking about um, mimicking and duplicating experience, you start realizing that there's stuff that you can, you know, it's not just, is there stuff that you can't do in person? And how do you, you know, figure out a cheap alternative to online? There's stuff you can do online you can't do in person, right? And like, how do we think about that side as well? So you think about, you know, some of the point of pines, a slave cabin that's there, right? It's behind velvet ropes. Yeah. You can see it and you can kind of get a sense of what it looks like. Online, you can go inside of it and you can spin around and see ah, the dimensions yeah. of like, wow, a whole family like lived in here. You know what I mean? In a way that you can't do yeah. when you're looking at an artifact from behind glass or like a velvet rope, right? Yeah. And so there's ways in which you can take advantage of what virtual can do in a very unique way mm. that you can't do physically. We were able to break down the experience, um, both that and for the Making a Way Out of No Way exhibit into different books and chapters. And so you can kind of only got a little bit of time to explore, you know, this chapter, right? Um, and all right, only got a little time to explore like this chapter. You can kind of take your time and pace your way through it. You can explore it um, via timeline, so temporal uh, based view. You can you can uh, explore it based on the context of education. Let me see, education is the number of time, right? Um, through entrepreneurship, and so you have different ways in which people can kind of explore and experience it that fits their perspective. Again, yeah. that's different than if I'm physically there. It's like. They haven't ordered this way. I got, I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna walk this way, right? I'm gonna walk yeah. around and I'm gonna look at everything as I as I see it. And so, um, there are definitely ways in which we've been able to take advantage of what you can do online. You can't do in person. That's that's amazing. And you know, I had a I had a conversation a little while back with someone that's in this uh, kind of virtual curatorial sort of role, and she's like, "Yeah, 
yeah, you guys don't notice this, like with COVID and all of that, like we need to figure, figure out ways to make things accessible in a different way. And as you're describing, it's like the, like the more robust version, like here's the exclusive, like Patreon version, not, not Patreon, but almost the yeah. exclusive version. You can't get this when you go there. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. One, one of the key things I picked up out of it, what you were saying is like, yeah, you go to a museum, it's like that setup is already kind of predetermined in many instances, mm-hmm. but you can kind of choose your own adventure and still be able to absorb the purpose of the place, getting the exhibits and getting the history and all that's attached to it. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Absolutely. So super fun project. I mean, our team has been like over the moon, like working on this and just to just to just to play a part. I mean, you think about the exposure. I mean, within the first few months, um, we'd seen visitors from 140 countries. Wow that have hit this right so you nice. think about a global reach in 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 many of the folks who are never going to come to dc right so yeah. you're saying the ability to reach an audience that you can't touch right in, in person which is which is really rewarding that's wonderful thank you um so as we wrap up here in the last few moments uh, i got some rapid fire questions for you yeah. uh don't overthink them <laughs> don't overthink them um and uh yeah so i got about four of them for you okay uh, here's the first one. You you touched on it earlier, what have you, just like this this notion around like leaps of faith and things of that nature. And often we yeah. got to take them and leaps are scary, uncomfortable and ultimately rewarding that it can be ultimately rewarding. Uh, yeah. What what makes you comfortable these uncomfortable these days? What makes me uncomfortable? Um, that's funny. I actually, I actually hate networking. I hate networking and I hate networking events, right? <laughs> they feel so fake and contrived to me. We're like, all right, people in the room are strangers and everyone go talking. And, and I think a lot of times when they're not, they don't come off as genuine where it's just like, well, what do you do? Give me a car. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Um, I, I, I much prefer kind of one-on-one conversations and actually kind of getting to know someone. So in those events, if I meet two or three interesting people, I'm good. I'm not going to just go walk the floor. That's just not, that's just not me. I, I actually really hate that stuff. Same. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll get invited to something. I got like five business cards. It's like, I'm leaving yeah. with two of these. I'm yeah. leaving with two of these. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, you don't want like the, the fake conversation. I kind of struggle with that and doing this. Yeah. So I'm like, I like, you know, I pride myself on being able to connect with someone in, in, in the course of a conversation because yeah. people are busy, but my intent is not to be like, yeah, so how can I benefit myself with this conversation? It's like, no, I'm interested in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's some context for it. And that's kind of it is. And there's a certain degree of contrivance when it comes to doing this. Yeah. I yeah. sent you over to questions. You knew this was going to happen today yeah. and and so on. But also there is some liberty and some license on how one goes about it and tries to have something that's more genuine than, so tell me about your work. Yeah. And then, you yeah. know, when did you do this? Yeah. Tell me about a time. It's like less, that's less right. of that. That's right. That's right. Um, do you collect anything? What do you collect? What do I collect these days? It was shoes for a little bit. I think my wife told me I can't buy any more buy any more shoes. So I was a I'm a I'm a I'm like a fake sneakerhead. That I was one like I was super young and stopped and sold all my stuff. And then like I don't know if it's my I don't know quarter or midlife or third life crisis where now like I'm back. I'm buying I'm buying shoes like every other day. So now I'm chilling. So was was shoes for a little bit. I'm a I'm a fan of Jordan ones. So I have probably more than I care to admit. Um, in that in that space, so I'd say that. Yeah. That. Now, now I'm trying to. Now I want to cre- uh, collect experiences. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I'm just collecting pounds. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, 
we, we, we like what we like, right? You, you touched on the Georges there a second ago. Um, what are you particularly snobbish about? And what are you like more down to earth about than people would think? Because we're, we're all snobs. I'll, I'll, start with, I'll start with down to earth. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So what am I snob about? I think when we first, when we first got married, my big thing was, Look, we're going out of town. Save the money in the hotel. Let's go do something fun. You know, let's get this cheap, rigid dick, you know, two and a half, maybe three star. My wife's like, no, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna go somewhere. We're gonna stay in like a nice space where we're where where um you know we're out of town, and all that stuff. So I've got a little bit of a stop. Like I, I gotta stay in a nice room. Like we go somewhere. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna front for a nice room. Um, which which is funny. It led us to. You know, when we were, when we moved, we were getting a new mattress and new sheets and pillowcases, and we we're going back and forth. Like, I don't know, sheets and pillow stuff that's expensive. And all this stuff. Like, how much do you spend a night on average at a hotel? Got it. To sleep mm-hmm. on their nice sheets and their nice pillow, <laughs> we sleep on these three hundred at least three hundred days a year. Like, let's be comfortable and let's sleep well. So, get, getting a good night's rest and like being comfortable like that. I'm starting to get like a little snobbish about that. I am down earth. I'm not a snob about food. Okay. My uh, my go to chicken tenders. I'm still that little kid. Uh, I'm often told I've got the palate of a of a 15 year old boy. I'm a child. Like I don't eat anything that's raw. Not runny eggs. Not pink meat. Not sushi. N- anything. Anything. So um, yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm pretty down to earth. But I'm, my go to is uh, is chicken tenders. If I'm at a fancy dinner and they come out with steak and it's pink, I'm like I can't. I, I was gonna, I was gonna invite you to sushi, my guy. Like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Come on, now. Just... Can't, Can't get there. Can't get there. <sighs> Man, it would be fried. You know, just and, do that. Uh, I'd be nervous. I, 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 don't know, I don't know who's tricking me. I don't know. Who's tricking me. <laughs> I, I'm not sophisticated enough to know the difference between this one is cooked, this one isn't. So I just blanket put them in the in the no pile. I, I dig it. I dig it. Uh, I enjoy a chicken tender as well. Um, so with that, I'm gonna modify my last question because I think I know the answer. Um, so. What sauce are you doing with your chicken tenders? And that is the last question I got for you. Mm, 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 mm. So my go-to typically is some combination of either honey mustard or barbecue. I put barbecue on most things, but honey mustard um, is is a good kind of staple um, overall. From Chick-fil-A, Polynesian is is typically typically my go-to. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. so that's that's actually it um, for 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 this, and, and thank you for sharing that. I'm yeah. I'm over Chick Fil A sauce guy, but um, I'll give you the pass to the Polynesian. That's okay, a ketchup fair, for me. Fair. That's I a version of ketchup. <laughs> yeah. um, but I have gotten bougie about French fries. It's like, hmm, where's the aioli? I'm going to dip my fries in. That's, that's what I do. I'm a little bougie in that regard. I'm, yeah. Okay, I'm very bougie in other areas, but we won't talk about. This is about you, not me. Um, so with that, um, I want to thank you again for coming on to this podcast to end. Um, I want to invite and encourage you to um, share anything in the final minutes that you you know want to share, you know, whatever you want to share. It's, it's like shameless plug. The floor is yours. Yeah, I'll say a couple things. Um, one, my encouragement to everybody, right? I, I love entrepreneurship. I love black entrepreneurship in, in general is you've got this idea, chase it. You've got, I mean, if anything that we've learned over the course of um, these last couple of years, right? From the pandemic to George Floyd to all these things is life is short. Mm-hmm. Life is short. You got a dream, chase it. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna take time, you're gonna take a swing, you might as well make it a big swing. You only got one shot at this thing. So my encouragement is jump in. If you need some help, support, hit me up. If I don't know how, I'll connect you with someone. And then I got one other plug. We um I didn't we didn't talk about this, but we've Please. got um an incubator called Hutch that we started a couple of years back. 
uh, assisting uh, businesses that are trying to get started, specifically in the tech space that have a bent towards government, right? We know that space really well. And um, we it's a two-year program that we run. We're pushing to do 25 companies before 2025. We have about 20 in our portfolio, so we're going to exceed that. But applications are about to open for that. So check us out on hutchstudio.io. Again, that's hutchstudio.io. Learn a little bit more. But if you are an uh, aspiring entrepreneur, you got a business, you need help scaling, hit us up. We got you. So there you have it, folks. And thank you. Thank you for, for getting that in there because it's uh, going to help us, folks. So there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank Dalali Jaraza for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there are businesses just doing great stuff in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for them.